This is Messenger Insight, a podcast program brought to you by Oklahoma Baptists and the Baptist Messenger. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special podcast episode. I'm Brian Hobbs, your host. Uh, pleased to be joined with two uh, great ladies in our state who are doing wonderful ministry. Julie Bussler is with us and Amy Cordova. Hi, ladies. Hello. Thank you for being here. Well, Julie, you are uh, author of a, a newer book that we're going to be talking about today, and you also serve have served as president of the Oklahoma's WMU mm-hmm. chapter. Amy, you serve here with Oklahoma Baptists. Our podcast listeners uh, know you and your role in ministry really well. I'm really glad we're taking on this this topic today, and really, and really, it's a story that resonates with a lot of people. Um, you know, you don't have to look through many news headlines to see that mental health issues is a big topic. It's it's impacting families mm-hmm. and churches. And I was actually, I don't usually do this, but I was going to start by reading the beginning of your book, okay. Julie, and then let you kind of share your story and unpack that. Uh, you said, my mind was made up. Having already contemplated my details, I was waiting for the right moment to end my life at only 34 years of age. I was a wife, mother, and follower of Jesus who lived to make him known in the predominantly Muslim country of Turkey, and yet the very hope I proclaimed somehow slipped through my fingers. And this is told in a powerful, powerful book, Joyful Sorrow. Thank you for being on today. So tell us about your journey and how God brought you through and, and, and all that kind, if you would. That's actually pretty shocking to hear that now. Mm-hmm. Um, five years later. So we came back from Turkey five years ago. And hearing that now and seeing all God has done, it's almost like I don't recognize her. And even though these diagnoses still remain, he has done such a work in my mind and my heart that if he can do this in my life, I truly believe that he can do that in anyone's life. Um, But just to back up the story a little bit, um, it really starts in childhood. My family from the outside, we looked like we had it all together. I mean, everything was provided for us, but inside there wasn't a lot of emotional health. So we didn't talk about feelings or grief. And so I did not grow up in a very emotionally healthy or mature way. So therefore, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was eight, Hmm. by that point you are old enough to understand something's wrong, but you're not really old enough to understand what it is if no one tells you or explains to you like what cancer is, why are things changing. So from that moment forward, that was like a kind of a breaking point in my life, like where life was different after that. So we just, she was sick most of my growing up years, and she passed away um, after my freshman year at, I went to college at University of Oklahoma, and she passed away when I was 19 after my freshman year. And you know, that was so traumatic, and I did not know what trauma was. I did not know what counseling was. None of this was in my vocabulary. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't handled the healthiest way, and so I didn't know what hospice was. I mean, none of that. She just she died in our home. And when something traumatic like that happens, it really changes the way that your brain functions. So the world was a very scary place. Um, I was always on edge, like very hypervigilant, but I didn't have the vocabulary to explain it to anyone. I didn't even know I could talk about that. And I wasn't involved in a church, so I really became a follower of Christ in college after this. Uh, I did go to church occasionally as a child, but there was no discipleship. I didn't read mm-hmm. the Bible. So there was no like hope to fall back on. 
So she died. I'm very traumatized, but I've been raised and just maybe it's also just who I am to just shove everything down. And so I looked then like I look now, like put together and smiley and no one had any idea when I went back from Kansas where she died back to Oklahoma, what I had just been through. So I just start living my life trying to finish college and I did. Meanwhile, there is this deep depression. I didn't know what that was inside. I mean, I'm, very, I'm just tumbling into despair. Mm. And these thoughts begin and they're very passive suicidal thoughts, but because they were so passive, I didn't even recognize the danger of them. So it's something like, I wish I would just not wake up in the morning or mm. if I got in a car accident, that'd be okay. Um, and so I just let those run wild in my brain. I didn't know what to do with them. And I had no one to, to talk to. I didn't dare tell anyone because how do you tell someone that? That's very scary. And so that continued and no one knew. And then I met my husband in college. And Ryan is a wonderful, godly man. At, by this point, I am a believer and a follower of Jesus. But I mean, really a baby one. I don't really know scripture very well. And we get married right out of college. Um, I, he doesn't even know really what I've been through because I wasn't trying to hide it from him. I just had never verbalized it, and I was such a master at wearing that mask that I just continued that way. Well, then we got married. We started having children, and we're in our 20s, and I'm pregnant with my third child, and we have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, so it's busy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is when I got an email one morning that my dad had died by suicide. Mm. Mm. So that, you know, cancer, the way my mom died, that is tragic, and that is traumatic. But people do get sick and die. Mm -hmm. So I could wrap my head around that type of death. Um, But suicide, it's so shocking and unnatural. And oftentimes the survivors are left, they're like, I just didn't see any signs. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And now that I have, you know, become educated, I do look back and see all these red flags. But I didn't know. And so um, that was such a shock to us. Wow. And so at that time, are you you're serving overseas? Uh, t- no. t- take us through the okay. the journey of that. So not quite yet. Yeah. So um, I handle his death the same way. Okay. I mean, I can remember being at the funeral and just very stoic, very. Yeah. Um, that's just all I knew to do, and so and I've got these children. I'm pregnant, and so I just am trying to survive. Yes. So I shove it all down mm-hmm. and keep going. And meanwhile, this is just God is so cool like this. I push this way over here, which is not healthy. However, my husband and I are feeling called to missions about the same time because, you know, we're grieving his death with hope in Christ. We know that our sorrow won't last forever, but we're realizing, oh my goodness, there's a whole world that is grieving without hope. Some of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. They don't have scripture in their language. And so God, just how he can redeem all things, he used my dad's death really to spur us on to go share life and hope. So while I still very much needed a lot of help, um, we sold everything, got rid of everything, and we moved over. It was a few years after that, we moved to overseas to Turkey. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so... um, that's quite a journey. Just mm-hmm. And I know as you speak, there's a lot of people listening that they face trauma or they mm-hmm. face difficulties. And, uh, you know, you're fast forward just a little. You're, you're there. You're serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that had to be a culture shock as well. I mean, a whole other world, a whole other country. Yeah, I did. I mean, I'd never been just 
immersed and living every day in a place that is, I mean, said to be like 99.9% Muslim. And so we love, I mean, Turkey's a beautiful country. The people are hospitable. Much of the Bible happened there. Um, But you are in the minority as a believer. And I'm still a a relatively young mom. And so I'm just trying to navigate that, go to language school, while I'm carrying all this baggage of depression and the suicidal thoughts are still there. And I honestly did not know how to reconcile. I love Jesus and I don't want to live. I did not know how that worked together. So I kind of just pretended like that wasn't happening in my brain. I didn't know, you know, even back then um, in like 2013, we weren't talking about mental health like we are today. And so um, I was often triggered. And let me kind of, I have this example I share most places I go speak because it's just a simple way to explain how this works in a believer's life. And so let's say that you are a young child and let's say you're five and you are abused by a man wearing a red shirt. And now you're 45 and you're not even thinking about this horrible abuse, but you walk into church ready to worship the Lord, not even thinking about that. And your worship leader walks on stage in a red shirt. Well, you might not even remember the trauma that happened to you even in detail because you were so young, but your body remembers how it reacted to that trauma. And so it will go back into that same reaction, the fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so all of a sudden, you might not know that that's what's triggering you, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to panic or like Mm -hmm. I want to hide or maybe you feel like lashing out in anger. So here I am, this missionary who loves Jesus. I mean, I can share the gospel in another language. And something would set me off, and I wouldn't even know that that was happening. It would remind me of my mom and my dad, and I would feel out of control. And that's a very chaotic way and confusing way as a woman of faith to live, especially as a minister in vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. So it was hard, and that went on for about six years. Wow. And so, and Amy, I want to ask you in a minute, because you've had a front row seat to how Julie began to share her story when, yeah. when God brings her through, and I want to ask about that. So what br- what brought this to a crisis point? I mean, it it sounds like from what I'm understanding in your book and talking that to the outside world it might have seemed fine, mm-hmm. but what what brought it all to that crisis point? And I will, yeah, so and looking back, there's this massive breakdown, which was really just the mercy of God. Um, so we are, it's 2018 in the fall, and we're just living life. And our our ministry was fruitful. Like we really did want to mm-hmm. share hope. Um, but at one point, my mother-in-law comes to visit us in Turkey, and we're super excited to have her there. And I remember watching her with my kids, and they were so happy and joyful. And it just dawned on me, I really feel nothing. I'm just numb, almost like I'm empty inside, which is a symptom of trauma, a sign of that. And then this this thought popped in my mind, and it was the first time where the thought, the suicidal thoughts, had progressed to plans. And it was, now's a great time to end my life because she's here and she can get my family home and my body home. And I mean, that's, that would have been the biggest, most devastating mistake of my life. Like, I'm so glad that I did not do that. Um, I just kind of chickened out, praise the Lord. And, but from there, I ended up finally telling another friend. And I think she was safe enough to tell just a little bit too, because she had been pretty open about her struggles. And yet I saw her walk in wholeness and victory. And so that made her a real person, not just like this, I'm perfect, everything's perfect. And so her her vulnerability helped me to open up to her. And she asked, um, she was like, I think you should tell your husband. And so I did. He made an appointment with a psychiatrist, which I did not know what that was. For lack of better words, I thought crazy people go to those, which is is wrong. I still see one. Um, 
But the, the psychiatrist in Turkey saw how dire the situation was, and she hospitalized me pretty quickly in this Turkish psych ward. Wow. Wow. Which I don't recommend because that's, yeah. that's as awful as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amy, you've, you've uh, known Julie for some time now and seen her courage to share this story. You know, what, what is that vulnerability? How, how important is it like that to be vulnerable and transparent? And yeah, we first met in 2019 and it was after the women's retreat. She had come with her church and we were having lunch and we had so much fun mm-hmm. at that lunch. Julie truly is joyful. I mean, people often refer to you as joyful Julie because that's what she represents. But at the time, you were really going through a struggle and navigating being back in the States and still dealing with this illness and getting well. And so then 2020 comes, and we continue to stay in touch. And little bit by little bit, she continued to share her story with me and the struggle that she was experiencing and really the healing that you were seeking by being back in the States. Mm And so through conversation, she began to say, I, there's people that you could help. You could see how you weren't the only one dealing with this struggle, but there's other people around you that your story could help. And so that led to more and more from that That's point That's wonderful. On. Yeah. Well, uh, going back to, you know, you've experienced that, you're, you're getting treatment now. What did that look like over the next year or so, I mean, after, time period after, I mean. So in Turkey, in the psychiatric hospital, I mean, that was really hard. There was some trauma that happened there. Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to have a Bible, and there's just, it's just, it was hard. But at the same time, they did brain scans, and they showed me how you could see this activity in my brain that would indicate depression or PTSD, which I was diagnosed with. And so that was a big eye-opener in that, okay, maybe it's not just a faith problem. But I swung a little bit too far and thought, well, now it's just an illness. Just give me some medicine, which I do advocate that medicine is helpful in some situations. But I was like, just give me medicine and I'm good. I didn't know how you could have Jesus and, you know, medicine therapy, how those could go together. So then I I got out after about three weeks and we moved home almost immediately, and I was re-hospitalized. It was just so much trying to come back. We're the missionary family from our small town church, and I'm so ashamed. Like, why on earth am I back? Like, what am I going to tell people? And so I tell my husband, don't you tell anyone, please, please, please. And he honored that, but that's a big burden to put on him. So I was re-hospitalized, and it was there that I started to see that medication, it it was stabilizing my brain. I mean, I praise God for this for this gift, but that will never produce fruit. It never produces joy or peace um, or hope. And so I started to see that that can stabilize my, my body, my brain, and it improves your quality of life, but only Jesus is our hope. And so once I kind of reconciled that, I just started on this journey of, I'm going to read through the Bible chronologically and just try to live. I think I'm disqualified from ministry. There's no place for me. Who am I mm. to minister? And um, one person in the church told me I was unsuitable for ministry, and I believed it. And so about after a year, so when I met her in 2019, I mean, I really thought there's no more ministry for me. I'm trying to learn how to love God and struggle. Well, in 2020, you know, the pandemic hits, and our church in Shawnee, Oklahoma, it's going to have our annual women's event, but it's online, like everything was online. Mm -hmm. And we decided to have three women share their stories of hope from different generations. And I knew in that planning meeting, I was supposed to be of of one of those voices. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, that was internal. (laughs) I'm like, I am not doing that. I fought God. I've never felt that feeling, you know, in my life before. And... 
I finally volunteered to do that. And the way that my church embraced that, I think that was just so integral in me having the courage to share the story. Because if they had said, oh, we don't talk about that, I believe that would have shut me down. So I shared the story, and that is when I got so many messages from all over the state, like, me too, I'm in ministry, I'm a pastor's wife, and I struggle too, and you're giving me the permission to get help. And so that was really what Amy's talking about in the turning point, that maybe people do need to see that it's okay to struggle and that we can still cling to hope in Christ in the midst of it. Wow. I think oftentimes we feel like we have to serve the Lord from our strengths. Mm -hmm. And he does give us gifts, and we can do that. And the skills and the gifts he's given, we can exercise in the church. But I think oftentimes he just asks us to surrender and serve even from our weaknesses. And it's Mm -hmm. such an interesting fact in how the Lord often draws us uh, to share our weaknesses because he's glorified in all of that. And we've seen that happen through Julie's story and sharing from some of the darkest times of your life have really brought in about the most hope in other people's lives because it's all about Jesus and what he's done mm-hmm. to heal your mind and continue to bring you to wholeness and your family to wholeness. And what's so interesting, because God is so good, as I feel led to share in my weakness so he gets glory, it actually works to heal me as well because the more that I see his redemption through my story, I feel like the more I walk in this healing because I'm seeing the purpose in the pain. And when we see purpose and God use it for his glory, it just, it paints the pain in a different light. You see it like from an eternal perspective almost. So it's been really a great ride. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm just... Uh, amazed at what he did. And I thank you for your transparency because that is hard to to open up your life and let other people in and see what what all he's brought you through. I love in your book how you, you talk about the word and you talk about prayer and you talk about how God works through the things like the counseling and the medicine and the spiritual battles because there's a lot of people struggling at all different levels. Mm-hmm. So you've you've seen people write to you, this resonated with me and been blessed by that feedback? It's amazing. I've heard everything from people who are in ministry who were literally in the process of taking their life and something I said, which is really the Lord through me, made them stop all the way to people who are just dabbling in scripture thinking, well, maybe maybe God is for me and maybe I should look into Christianity. And um, so, I mean, it's the whole spectrum. And so I look back and I'm like, Lord, why did you let us go overseas and serve you? Because that's what we wanted to do forever. And then why would you bring us back when there's a whole world that needs you? And I really think that, you know, this right now, the mental health crisis. I mean, that's a mission field in and of itself. And the CDC had some recent data release that said in 2022, suicide reached an all-time high in the history of the U.S. And so we have to be having these conversations within the church where where there's safety and we can show that there's still hope even in the midst of something like suicide. And then I also think that saying that I was in vocational ministry People will say that that has given them permission. Like if, if even a, a missionary struggles, I can struggle. And to that, I'm like, there's no pedestals in the church. I and mean, we're all the same. We're all broken people who need Jesus. But for some reason, that is, people have told me that that has given them permission to struggle. Because we can see people in ministry as like they're above us or they're super Christians when really we're all just people serving yeah. the Lord. Yeah. I think one of the biggest schemes of the enemy is thinking, I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. And when he can isolate us, it brings us away from that 
body, that congregation that God has given us to support and encourage each other. And so what I would say to our listeners today, if you feel like you're the only one, you're not. And God can open doors of opportunity for healing in your life and not only in your life, but other people's lives when you're transparent and open. And we, in in the 90s especially, you know, you walk into church and you're in your Sunday best and you might have had a fight on the way, but everyone gets out happy, go lucky. How are you doing? And your automatic response is fine. And I think that's okay in some ways because we do want to get dressed Mm -hmm. up. We do get excited to go worship with our church family. But what it can do is put on this mask that everything's okay when it's not. And God has given us this great gift of the church and his bride to support and encourage us to spur us on until we see him face to face. And so when we mask what our reality is, it's actually harmful in allowing the enemy a footstool into our lives of isolation and disconnection. And when we're vulnerable, when we're transparent and we bring it to what we're dealing with, God can use that and he can use that in ways that we would never imagine. And really sharing your story has changed what I believe to be generations of Mm -hmm. what could have been harmfully impacted. And so what the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. And he can turn that around. And we've seen that throughout scripture in the Old and the New Testament and even in the church today. And so it's, I thank you for being Aww. vulnerable and transparent and sharing your story in a book and um, to our Oklahoma Baptist women and beyond because it really has brought about a safe place to say, I'm not okay But God can use that to create healing and change. That means a lot to me because even though I've been doing this for a few years, I mean, and you can't take back a book once it's out there. (laughs) Every time I speak, I get off stage and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Why did I share that? It's like the enemy wants to heap shame on me even after I've told the whole world. And so it's, but I believe so, so deeply that there's hope and there are resources available. And, you know, this is a battle that we, we have like these, web with the spirit, yeah. like we have victory in this. And so I believe in that so much that I'm like, okay, if I feel uncomfortable for a little bit, it's okay if someone, if it saves their life. And so it means a lot to hear that because I still struggle with, oh, what am I doing telling this? I mean, I'm human. And so it's still hard to do. But you've you've stepped out into it takes courage to you know step up on a platform or in a large event setting or go on a TV interview or a podcast. I mean, and God's honored that, and He's He's moving on lives. So, ladies, I wanted to talk just a little bit about social media. You know, we've talked some about capital T trauma, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe lowercase T, or just feel it, people having feelings of anxiety or resentment or envy on social media. Don't you, have you observed that social media paints a false picture mm-hmm. of what people's lives are like? And we sometimes look at it and, well, why, did, why didn't my lunch look that nice or my vacation look mm-hmm. that great? And those things can eat away mm-hmm. at people. What, what are your pieces of advice for someone to stay encouraged if they're struggling in some of those maybe more everyday areas like that? Uh, Have you all experienced anything? Yeah, social media is definitely a highlight reel of people's best parts of their day and things that they are happy to share and put out there for the world to see. And so it is a, a lie to believe that someone's full life because it absolutely is not, no matter how much you might share on social media. And so to be in true community, just like God has designed the church, is so important. And so for our listeners, if you're a leader in the church, encourage small groups, 
encourage people to get involved with life on life and knowing each other and being in each other's homes. And really, I mean, in America, we do hospitality a little bit different than they do in other countries, like Mm -hmm. when you were in Turkey. But just continuing to go back to that biblical hospitality and knowing people and experiencing Mm -hmm. life together is so valuable in opening the doors to real, true conversations. That's good. And also, you know, I'm excited about the next generation, like Gen Z. I think that they are hungry for authenticity. Yes. And so I think the more that we talk about mental health or just struggles in general and that we're real, um, I hope that that will reflect in how we post on social media. And then this next generation, they want real life. I think that they're probably tired of just the fake influencer. Mm -hmm. And so I do have so much hope for the church and the way that, you know, the world is going in that way. Um, And what's interesting is whenever I post a post that is more vulnerable, not that likes are matter, but it's funny. Those usually get more likes. So I think people are actually hungry for more real life than just the fake post of like, here's my perfect home. So I've I've observed that. I think you're spot on. Well, ladies, this has been a great conversation today, an important conversation. The book is Joyful Sorrow, Breaking Through the Darkness of Mental Illness. The author's Julie Bustler, and we're just grateful you came on the podcast today. In the uh, upcoming edition of the Baptist Master Magazine, we'll focus more on what God's done in your life. And just want to thank you for this conversation today, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having this conversation and being brave enough to do that. Absolutely. God bless you. Thanks again. Go to baptismessenger.com for more podcasts or to look for that article, and uh, we'll see you next year. This Messenger Insight has been brought to you by the Cooperative Program and Oklahoma Baptists. To subscribe, find us on Spotify, the iTunes Store, or your preferred podcast platform. Visit us at baptismessenger.com today. Oklahoma Baptists, advancing the gospel together.